0: Well, this week I got back from uh, Louisville, Kentucky in the Southern Baptist Convention and uh, watched the news that night and found that the world, my world, seemed to have changed a little bit with the news that was going on. Farrah Fawcett had died. Um, my memory of a, a Charlie Angels uh, was no more. And then I flipped to the news and was shocked to hear that Michael Jackson had died. Um for someone of my generation, that's a significant uh, moment. Um, I was in third grade when um uh, Beat It was popular. And uh what's so sad is to realize that some of you weren't born uh in nineteen eighty three. Uh and I never I never expected to get old. And and, and you know that's in third grade, that's when uh when you have these celebrities come out, man, you just you just model them. I remember in third grade looking around, and before long you had these these guys coming in with red leather jackets with with chains on them. I thought, whoa, Michael Jackson, they had the beat it jacket on, and then they'd they'd come in, and every once in a while you have a real radical guy coming with a glove, you know. The sequence gloves the third grade. Uh, and then before long, uh, people started walking like him. You know, they were doing the little moonwalk, you know, and, and then it's like, whoa. And they're starting to, to walk like him and, and they're and they're singing like him. And you saw a whole generation that for a little period of time, Michael Jackson was it. Um, and now I'm, I'm getting all those songs back in my head, because everywhere I go, there's a radio station playing uh, a Michael Jackson song. And, and, uh, and so I remember those, those years. And so when you have a, uh, a week like this, when you see someone that you once uh, modeled after, uh, no more. It's kind of a check, a check in our life to realize, was it worth modeling after? And yes, I did have parachute pants. You know, Uh, that's that's how life is. is We find these characters that we we model after and we emulate and become like them. And then we realize after we get old enough to say, well, you know, they're just humans. They're just humans. Why? Why did I spend fifty dollars for parachute pants? You know, why? Why did we do these things? It is somewhat of our nature as humans to find those ones to model after. Uh, we, we see it in every culture, in every country, that that's a, a, a trend that we have. I want to present to you a group of people that got it right when it came to modeling. Uh, they found the right one. Uh, in Vacation Bible School, we've been studying uh, those who followed Jesus, especially Peter. And watching how Peter is reacting to Jesus Christ. And we're going to do the same thing this morning, except we're going to go in the book of Acts chapter 3. And at this point in Acts chapter 3, Jesus has lived his three years among Peter. He has been crucified. Peter has seen Jesus rise again and spend another 40 days in, in, in depth teaching with him, with Peter and the other men. And now Jesus has ascended up to be with God the Father in heaven, and now there is another one, the Holy Spirit, that is with Peter, the very Spirit of Christ. And we'll find that those around Peter are going to have the remark that this man has been with Jesus, because he talks like him, he acts like him, he does things like Jesus, and eerily enough, there is the power, sorry about that, there is the power of Jesus right there among them, and so knowing that, let's go to Acts chapter 3, and I'm going to read the first 10 verses, if you'll turn in your Bibles to that, if you don't have one, you can get one in the back of the pew there. And we'll read the first ten verses. We're going to look at the entirety of this chapter, but we're going to focus on, on these ten verses. And so in honor of this being the word of God, let's stand as we read this together. You read silently as I read aloud to you. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate And this miracle, I want to bring out three contrasts. And in these three contrasts, I want to present to you three prayers that we as a church are to pray for uh, based on this story. And so let me just set the scene. Acts 3.1 says they're, they're going up to the temple. Of course, they're in Jerusalem. This is the place where you go to meet God. Up to this point, God and his glory had been focused in a building, in a place. And if you wanted to really pray right, you went there. If you wanted to have an intimate time with God, you went there. And so these guys, being good Jews, would go twice daily uh, for the prayers in the temple. Uh, And so the Bible says in verse 1 that it was done at the ninth hour. This is about our 3 p.m. Uh, they would do it one in the morning and one in the afternoon at 3 p.m. And so here they are coming as good Jews into the temple. And this the temple is a huge uh, campus there in Jerusalem at this time. And you see in verse 2 that uh, a man lame had pitched his his sight there uh, around the gate of the temple. Notice it is at the gate of the temple. He, he as a lame person is not allowed to enter into the temple according to Leviticus chapter 21 Verse uh, 6 through 8, this is uh, any man with a defect was not allowed to worship inside. And so he was right there on the outside because, after all, these folks are coming to worship. If anybody is going to give alms and to help him out, it ought to be those who are devout to God. And so he's he's out there at a strategic place, uh, and he has been doing this as we see for a long time. As he has been lame from birth, and we find later on that he is around forty, that he uh, as how long he's been lame, and so consequently, he knows how to work the crowds. I don't know if you've ever watched someone that uh, has practiced. At begging they don't ask everybody they've got an eye for who might most likely uh, listen to them and grant them something this is a practiced beggar he knows how to do it and so he, you notice he he asked peter and john and peter and john this is just like going to church you know there's a whole crowd of folks all going in the same direction toward the temple uh out there in Inside the temple gates would have been the the sacrificing, uh, roasting of lambs. Uh, so you can imagine, worship smelled much better then. Uh, than it does now. Worship was a multi-sensory experience where n- not only did they have the lambs roasting, they would have the incense going. And in. so you could have smelt worship before you ever got there. And so that's the scene going, going everyone going in the same direction, the crowds that are they're that coming in. Uh, this is not a time necessarily of, of leaping and, and horseplay. Uh, they're, they're all going with an intention and a purpose. And so Peter and John are, are right there with the rest of the crowd. And so... Notice verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go to the temple, he asked to receive alms. And notice verse 4, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. This is that word, directed the gaze. It's an intense stare. It's the same word used in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen is getting stolen and, and he's staring into the, uh, to the heavens. And seeing the presence of God. That same word. And so uh, he's asking them to do that. And, and Peter and John are doing that, at, doing that. He says, look at us. You've got to wonder, what did this lame person see? This is where we get to the first contrast of who they were, contrasted with what they did. James, I have a Peter and John from Galilee have the Galilean accent it's kind of like a, a New York accent down south or down south at a southern accent in New York it is a strong contrast to what everyone else speaks the they are fishermen uh, they've been doing that all their life their fathers are fishermen they've got the calluses of, of a fisherman uh, they've got perhaps maybe the wardrobe wardrobe of a fisherman these were hard-working fellows. these were the average joes of that time and here they were when Peter says look at us Imagine the lame person didn't get his hopes up based on who he was looking at. But when someone says that, he's thinking, well, whoa, maybe there's some act of generosity. Uh, he's actually talking to me. You know that when you start and talk to a beggar, you're out of the norm. You're out of the norm. Most folks uh, steer away from them and pretend they don't exist. And so something unusual is about to happen. But when he looks at these guys, there's nothing really significant about them. But what this lame person did not know was that Peter and John had been with Jesus. All right? Three years in training with Jesus Christ. And and the Gospels tell that story. That's significant. But it's not enough. See, let me me take you back, if you will, to John chapter 14. Uh, In John chapter 14... Jesus is, uh, well, he's, he's giving his goodbyes. He's, he's preparing them for what's about to happen. And in verse uh, 15, John chapter 14, verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. He says, something is about to significantly happen. There's going to be a replacement another helper. I'm not going to be the one that you're walking with. I'm not going to be the one who's teaching you. I'm not going to be the one who's granting you power. You know, one of the things we learned this week in, in Vacation Bible School is that Peter has been involved in miracles. Uh, in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus said to Peter and, and Andrew, you feed them. And Peter was instrumental in the miracles going through him when when Jesus was walking on the water. And Peter said, Jesus, is, if that's you, can I come out? And Jesus said, come on, <laughs> come on. and, and, Peter has been intricately involved in the miracles. And the post-resurrection events, Jesus said, if you love me, he said to Peter, feed my sheep.' I'm going to be working through you. And I would just present to you that for the disciples of today, that's not changed. Jesus wants to include you in what he is doing like he did with Peter. And so he says, just like I've instructed you and given you power, there's going to be another one who comes. He says in verse 17, He is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then you go down to verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I've said to you. You skip a couple of chapters to 16. Jesus says, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. In other words, there's going to be a spirit that resides with you, walks with you, that has the very words of God the Father that will be instructed to you. Now we come to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. Jesus is talking with the disciples. And he says in verse 5, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You get the idea that though Peter has been walking with Jesus for three years, hands on instruction, it's not enough. It's not enough for what Jesus is asking of them to do. They need the Spirit of God. And so in chapter 2 of Acts, you have the coming of the Holy Spirit among the disciples. And amazing changes that occur. Let me just share with you that the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, is not something that's delegated just to the 12 disciples. It is something that is a trademark of all believers in Jesus Christ, of all followers of Jesus Christ who make Jesus their king. We find throughout that the Spirit of Christ is to reside with them and changes them. The word that we use in the Bible is regenerate regenerate we have a regenerate heart and in titus 3 5 it says not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the holy spirit we are changed our desires are change because of the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians six nineteen says that we are the temple, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And 1 John tells us that we know that we are children of God because the Spirit of God abides in us. So let me just present to you, Peter, John, they were more than what they looked like because of the Spirit of God. And I just want you to understand that you can be too. We all look the same. But when the Spirit of God is in our life, there is a new dynamic, a new heart, a new power, a new direction that is available to us that changes everything. It changes everything so that we are not quite what we seem. Speaking to another generation, I've already talked about Michael Jackson. Let me go back to Gomer Powell. All right? Gomer Powell. It came from, came from Andrew Griffith, you know. Jim Neighbors. A doofus of a, of a, you know, have an appearance. You know, just a, you know, a hick. When you hear how he talks and what he says. But did you ever see the guy sing? Man, you got this guy that just bolts out this voice. And I keep thinking, this can't be real. They must be, you know, dubbing this in. But... I find out later, no, that was really his voice. Not quite what he looks like. Let me just share with you that for those of us who follow Jesus Christ to make Jesus our king and, and acknowledge him as a Lord and Savior, there is within us a spirit, the spirit of God, that can transform us and make us so that we're more than what we look like. All right, it's like the whole transformer, more than meets the eye. That's the power of Christ in our life what he can do and so he says look at me <laughs> and this layman looks with anticipation but as he looks at peter and john he's thinking well this guy's about to waste my time what's what, what's he you know he's a fisherman but notice i i just want to i want to look at peter and john what he's doing the Bible tells us the last thing Peter and John was doing was they were preaching to large crowds. 5,000 people were saved as they were preaching to the crowds of Jerusalem. And now Peter and John, they're just going to, they're going to church, if you will. They're going to temple to worship. That's their plan. That's all that they, they've got going on. And as they go through the day, they think they're just going to go and we're going to worship God here. But this guy catches their eye for whatever reason. I believe it is the Spirit of God in their life. Speaking to Peter and John and telling them, take note. Take note of this guy. Listen, I, you just need to know when the Spirit of God is in your life, when you have promptings in your mind to do something good and loving towards someone, here's something I've learned. If I ever have, have an idea to do something good and loving towards someone, I just chalk it up. That's not me. <laughs> All right? It is not like me to do something selfless, good, and and loving. And so, if I have an idea to do that, that tells me it must be from the Lord because I'm not like that. And so, John, Peter get this prompting evidently. Something has them take note of this lame person that has been there for 40 some years, 40 years. But for this moment in time, they have a desire to take note. Let me just make this prayer. Looking at the example of Peter and John. The prayer is that we as a church. We ask God to give us a radical concern. For the needs around us. Give us a radical concern for the needs around us. Here Peter and John were preaching to thousands. And they do with one. On this day. Just as they did with thousands. If you have An effective ministry to many people is because you have a passion for reaching one. We see that with Jesus. He did the same thing. That he would think nothing of stopping to talk to one. Whether it's a a woman with an issue of blood or a lame person. That he would stop what he's doing and touch this one. And so we see Peter and John doing just like their master did. Because they have the spirit of the master within them. The Bible tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. But in Ephesians 6 that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Because if we're grieving the Spirit of God by our sin and disobedience to God. We are no longer alive to God. We are, we are deading His voice. And that is the one thing that separates our life from being normal to being extremely fruitful. We don't have to do unusual things. We just live our normal life, whether it's going to church or going to work. But we hear the promptings of the Spirit of God. It allows us to do some things in an unusual way. And so Peter and John are about to do that. And so he looks at them. And notice what it says, verse 5. This lame man expected to receive something from them. Let me just bring out the second contrast. What was expected versus what he got? What do you think the lame man was expected? He was expecting money. That is why he is there. He wants money. But what did he get? Well, you notice what Peter says in verse 6. I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. As I read this passage, I thought, you know, the crime that we have today is that we can't state that. We have silver and gold, so consequently, we never look to see what God wants to do in someone's life. In uh, the 1200s, a man by the name of John uh, Dunce Scotus was ordained as a priest in 1291. You ever heard the word Dunce Cap? That dunce cap came from this man. Um, It did not mean necessarily that you were dumb or that he was dumb. It's just that he had such an intricate theology based on uh, detailed aspects that it became known that if you had an obscure idea from Scripture, you were known as a dunce following after the man of John Dunce. Later on, we have the the dunce cap that came from that. But it's a story that says that John Dunce Scotus was walking with the Pope uh, during our walking through the, the Vatican gold chamber. And the story says that the Pope said to John Dunt Scotus that there is the church no longer can say that silver and gold have we none. And John Dun Scotus also replied, Neither can the church say, Arise, get up from your bed, and walk in the name of Jesus Christ. We have to be careful that we do not trade the power of Christ for the silver and gold. One of the things that we need to look at is, what do we have? Yes, we have silver and gold, and it could very well be that the Spirit of God is prompting us to grant silver and gold, or whatever is needed for that hour, but even more, we must be concerned with what is the spirits of God's directing. You see, the problem was, the lame man, he had, a, he had shallow ambitions. And Peter and John was teaching him to raise your expectation. When we live life for for silver and gold, we are living for shallow ambitions and shallow living. And God wants us to understand there is more to life than the abundance uh, of possessions in our life. And so he says, look, you know what? You want this? I want to give you something else. And it's going to speak right to your heart. I remember growing up, I would, you know, get presents from my grandparents and uh, You know, every once in a while, they'd give me toys. Most of the time, they gave me clothes. And you you could tell by the box, you know. And it determined my excitement. I was like, okay, I'll open this present, you know. Let me just get this over with. But if it was like a bigger box and and square, like, oh, no clothes come like this, you know. But one time, I got this little box. This is really light. I think, what have you done? There's a paper in here, you know. And I open it up and... And I wanted toys, but instead I got a CD. No, not the music CD. Certificate of deposit. It meant nothing to me at the time, but I understood the beauty of it later on in life. What I just want to present to you is that when we give silver and gold, it's just the toys of life. But what God has made available to us, through the Spirit of God, are the CDs of life. That which is of extreme value. Notice the miracle that takes place here. And Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. That's huge. That's just an incredible statement. I mean, are you y'all willing to go up to 64 and uh, New Hope Road? There's usually someone there. Or you go up to the Beltline on 64. And you get out of the car and say, I don't have any money. Of course, you need to make sure you're not lying. But what I do have, I give to you, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Nazareth, get up and walk. Grow some feet. That's a huge statement that this man Peter and John are making. How is it that they're able to do that? I would say just what I've already said. They've lived with Jesus. They realize that God wanted them to be involved in the miraculous work of building the kingdom. They know the power of the Holy Spirit. They've walked on water. They've fed the 5,000. They've been involved of miraculous things before. And they learn that Jesus is able. Listen. I want to just present to us a prayer that we can pray as a church that we would have a a radical confidence in the one who saved us. God, let me trust in you. Jesus does not say, you know, don't dream big. Don't dream for miracles. We get the opposite. He says, I am with you. Greater is he that is with you than he that is in the world. But you cannot trust in the silver and gold. I am so much greater than that. When you do this for the name of Christ, for the name of Christ. And notice he uses that, the name of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth, in other words, all that Christ is, all that he lived for, his heart, his dream, his power, his authority in him. Get up and walk. There's no mention about the faith of the lame person. I would present to you that this is not the same as what you might see in TV and the healings that take place. Where if you're not healed, it's because of your fault, you didn't have enough faith. You know, when Jesus did miracles, he did it to dead people. They had no faith. It just it was the faith of the one who was praying. And so this was done in the name of Christ. And he takes the hand of Peter and gets up. And immediately see in verse 7, his feet and ankles were made strong. And to emphasize the point, verse 8. Leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. You know, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves is the gift of God. Not of works. Not of works. It's not by coming to church. It's not by taking part in the Lord's Supper. It's not by... Con- uh, confessing to anyone. It's not by almsgiving. G- it's not that which we do. It is what God has done. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. It is a gift of God. And so that which we're saved by, this this pure, sheer grace of God, His desire to give us forgiveness and mercy, and we just believe that and trust in that and say, God, I need A Savior I need forgiveness and then the Bible goes on to say in verse 10 that we for we are God's workmanship his craft created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in him which he's ordained beforehand I look at that verse and apply it to this passage here this man has been lame for 40 years from birth I wondered his parents wondered God why is this child lame why was he born lame as the child grew up he thought, why am I not like everyone else? Why am I not normal? Why can I run and play with the other kids? And as he got older, why can I not work for a living because I can't walk? Why, God? Why me? What have I done? What have my parents done to deserve this tragedy? All the while, he had no way of knowing that God was preparing him. Forty years so that one day Peter and John would walk along being filled with the Spirit of God and heal him. Do you ever wonder why day after day after day he sat in the temple and, and begged alms? It was to show the great contrast of the power of God so that when all around him would see the healing, they too would be, as the Bible says in verse 10, filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. I just want you to understand that it could very well be that the adversities that you're going through today may be there prepared beforehand for God's working to be done in them. Just wait on God. Wait on God and what he may be doing. Vice versa, for those of us who are being filled with the Spirit of God, following Him, we understand that in our normal, everyday life, going to work, eating dinner with our family, going to church, doing our errands, getting the dry cleaner dropped off, whatever the things may be, that it could be that that interruption that irritates you actually was a work-prepared beforehand that you should walk in it and glorify god we're not in charge of our day (laughs) i hope you've learned that by now you can have a plan but it doesn't mean it's going to happen it is these interruptions that god can work in now that brings us to the third contrast what they went for peter and john versus what resulted They went just for a routine worship of the Lord, so to speak, if it can be routine, a prayer in the temple. But what happened? What happened? Well, as we keep on reading, verse 11, this guy, he's running, leaping, and jumping, praising God. That's a huge contrast with everyone else in the temple. He's drawing attention to himself. He's like, you know... Uh, Peter and John. I don't know what their thinks were, thoughts were. Like, man, you, you need to calm down. You know, this is not proper behavior in a church. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, when you've been healed after forty years of being lame, it doesn't matter anymore. And so he's bringing attention to them. And verse eleven, you see that all the people, utterly astounded, astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solom's. This was a a large colonnade that went around the a wall of the the temple campus. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel. He starts preaching. This is the third sermon, the third address of Peter. And he starts preaching all throughout the rest of the chapter. And does a, a miraculous uh, sermon and calls them and says, you know, I just want to tell you that this was done in the name of Jesus Christ. You see that in verse 13? He says that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, you remember we've been studying about that, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus. In other words, the heroes of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they have a hero and his name is Jesus. And they've glorified him. But this one that is their hero, you delivered over, verse 13, and denied in the presence of Pilate whom he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. He's not pulling any punches. It's like, you killed Jesus. He's bringing it right to his name. Verse 16. But this one that you killed... And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health, the presence of all. And he says, verse nineteen: Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. He says, you are guilty of of murdering Jesus Christ, but you need to understand that because of Jesus Christ and his death, that God had prepared by the prophets beforehand, it allows you to be blotted out from your sins. God. No longer hold you guilty. You need to understand church. Those today. We're not much different from them. We were not the ones who who said crucify him. But it was for our sins that Jesus came to die on the cross. It is for our selfishness that Jesus died for us. And one of the worst things we can do is to continue in our selfishness. Once knowing what Jesus Christ has done for us. And say no thanks I don't want to submit to Jesus as my king. I just soon live life as it is and live for myself. But you need to know that if you will turn to him and say from this point on, I will make Jesus my king. I believe he died for me. I believe I sinned. God, I need a savior. Forgive me of my sins. That lifestyle of selfishness and all the results that we live in will be blotted out from God's point of view. There'll be no more. Let me tell you, who, who is the hero of the story? Who's the hero? Is it layman? No, man? No, he's just, he's just reacting. Is it Peter? John? I don't know why John. He's just kind of there with Peter. Peter? No. Peter makes very clear that it's not by him. Who is it? Well, verse 6. But what I do have, I've given to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Verse 13, God glorified his servant, Jesus. Verse 16, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, that the faith that is through Jesus... We keep on reading in chapter 4 that he's brought before the council. And the council, the, the leader, the religious leaders, verse 2, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And verse... Uh, uh, we keep on going in verse 7. They ask him, by what name did you do this? And verse 10, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ and whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 17, they don't like this at all and they say, to him, speak no more to anyone in this name. Who is the hero? It is the name of Jesus Christ that is the hero of this story. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that this lame man, after forty years being born crippled, gets up and walks. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that the little girl is resurrected from the dead. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that blind men see. It is the name of Jesus that Lazarus. Gets up from the tomb. And let me just share with you. According to the Bible. The name of Jesus. Hasn't changed. Over 2,000 years. There's still the authority. There's still the power. In the name of Jesus Christ. And here's the sad reality. Every single one of us. Will glorify a name. We live life. It is impossible for us. Not to glorify a name. It will either be your name. Or we may choose the name of Michael Jackson. Or Farrah Fawcett. Or Hannah Montana. Or any other names that we'll hear today. But I just want to present to you. There is no other name. That is worthy of glorifying. Than the name of Jesus Christ. Because there is no other name given under heaven. By God. Where there's salvation. The question is. Is. Really, is there one way for God, for us to get to God? I'm just reading this verse, Acts 4, 12. It says, There's no one out there who wants to save you. Except Jesus Christ. It is in the name of Jesus. And so, are you glorifying the name of Jesus Christ? After this... You think, well, wow, you know, he just healed somebody. know, A chain event occurs. Because he notices by the Spirit of God, one lame person. A chain event occurs. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, as he's preaching this passage, verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believe, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And his desire to reach one man. A miracle occurred and 5,000 came. To trust in Jesus Christ. And from this uproar comes the opposition of the religious leaders. And they chastise them. Warn them never to do this again. But you notice in verse 23. When they release. It it just galvanizes the church. Those who follow Jesus Christ. And they start praying. And you have a record of their prayer. uh, In in verse uh, 24 all the way down to verse 31. And notice what they pray in verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. We've seen the power of the name of Christ, and though the religious leaders are against this, it will not stop us. Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Verse 31, they pray, God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. We've seen the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were filled. In fact, the whole place was shaken, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And you see that there was an intimacy among the church. They had no need for life insurance, they had no need for health insurance because they had church. They had church. But somehow in our obtaining of silver and gold, we decided that we do not need one another. And so they depend on one another. We see that in Acts chapter 7, the first martyr occurs and is largely as a result of what happens here. The martyr Stephen occurs, his death, and then... Acts chapter 8, you find that there's a persecution that goes across the board. And it spreads out these believers all over the region. In Acts chapter 11, we find that they send out their first missionaries. And it stems all the way back to Peter and John going to church. And by this prompting the Spirit of God, they notice a lame person. But from that is galvanized a desire. And that desire becomes our prayer. Here's the third prayer. God, give us a radical commitment to glorify Christ among the nations. If we will have a radical concern for the needs around us, with a radical confidence in the one who saved us, that we will have a radical commitment to glorify Christ among the nations because, honestly, there is no other greater name that which we can glorify. Let's live for And the Hawaiian Islands in the 1800s It was a a hotbed of of mission activity Some good, some bad But there were, uh, with the explorers That come from Europe The introduction of leprosy uh, To the islands The disease spread quickly And so they, they set apart one of the islands Of which they were to send the leprous In fact, the people were so fearful of this island That when they had leprous uh, individuals that would bring to the ship, they would throw them overboard near the island because they did not want to risk even being on land in fear of, of contracting this disease. In 1873, a priest asked to work with these people on this desolate island. He was known as Father Damien. His real name was Joseph Van Vuster, which is maybe why they went by Father Damien. And so he went out and worked there. He began to treat these living With leprosy, with with dignity and love, he actually started honoring them with with proper funerals when they died. He helped them organize communities, started teaching them to grow their own food and eat properly. He cared for their medical needs and washed their wounds. And when he first arrived, not many people worshipped Christ there. But after demonstrating the love of God, people began to flock to their church to hear about God who loved them. He dedicated his life to the people who were literally thrown away by the rest of the world. He eventually did die of leprosy. But his fearless love of God and others caused many to see and know God. In his death, he found the peace that he offered to so many others. Let me just say, how does someone do that? The first thing is, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ask God to change our life. So control us. What was the difference between that which was expected and that which really happened? Why was it that who they were did not account for what they did? Why was it that what they expected was not what they got? They got so much more. Why was it that what they went for was was so, (laughs) so much more in the result? The difference in this is the Spirit of God. Jesus simply said, I've come that you might have life and life am- more abundantly. Eternal life is not just something that happens when we die. It is a quality of living. A quality of living in which you are alive to God and you can hear from God and respond to God. And as you do so, God changes your life. Changes your desire. And I just want to challenge you to don't, don't settle... For just joining a church. And being a member of a church somewhere. Saying this is something I do on Sundays. That's not. What our church is to be about. Don't settle for. Well I'm going to try to get everybody in church. The quality of the New Testament church. Is not necessarily get everybody in church. But to bring the church to everybody. To bring the power of God. To Nightdale. And wherever you may go, to say before you go to work, before you work with the kids, before you do your errands, God, fill my heart. I have my plan, but I realize that when you get involved, so much more can happen. And don't live for your name. Or the name of any other human being that will live and die. But live for the human who lived and died and rose again. Because there's no other name whereby salvation can occur.